All right. Well, my name is Kyle. I think I said that. Welcome again to you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can take those out and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're in the middle of a series on the prodigal son, and so we'll get rolling with that here in a moment. But, but first of all, happy Mother's Day, right? Amen. Amen. Wow. Okay. All right. So uh, not many mothers excited, not many fathers excited for Mother's Day either. So it's kind of odd. Y'all are rude. So uh, anyway, there's, you know, Mother's Day is kind of an interesting thing because it's, it's a day where uh, some people are really excited. And then it's also a day where some ladies uh, avoid church like the plague. And so uh, what I mean by that is, is something I've been learning over the last several years is that Mother's Day is certainly a day to, for a, a mother to be honored and thanked and celebrated, but, but for others today can be extremely painful. And so uh, there's a lot of women who would love to be mothers, men, and, and just for whatever reason, it hasn't worked out for them. And, and so I just want to offer kind of a word of encouragement uh, for those of you who are waiting and, and hoping and praying. And, and uh, here, here's what I would say to you. I wanted to show you something in Scripture. I think it's a beautiful picture of how God has uniquely wired women. Like, just something special that He's given a woman that no, no, no man has. And so uh, for, for those of you who are kind of find yourself in that spot, and then for those of you who are just ladies today, let this be just added encouragement for you today, and, uh, and then we'll get into our sermon. But in the beginning of the Bible, you have Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve are created. Uh, but So when, when Adam sees Eve, he doesn't name Eve. Like, he, he doesn't give her the name Eve at all. He just, he just says woman. Right, and and so what happens is, is Adam is given this God-induced sleep, right, and then God performs surgery on him, removing a rib, and creates Eve out of this thing. And so when Adam wakes up, there's literally this beautiful creature who's somewhat like him, but not all the way like him. But he immediately recognizes this as his mate, and he is overjoyed, and much in the same way that most of you men were when you met your wife, right? He's just overjoyed with this, and so he, he sings one of the first love songs of the Bible, and I wouldn't recommend you try this on your spouse, guys, but uh, he says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now, that doesn't sound like the, a, a hit R&B song, but I promise you that that meant a lot not only to Eve, but what Adam is expressing is that this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is my woman, right? Like this is who I've been waiting for. This is the mate that I've been longing for. And so uh, again, he doesn't call his wife's name. It just says there um, that, that he sings this for her. And then in Genesis chapter 3, you get this verse. In verse 20, it says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, the reason this is interesting, because it's not till chapter 4 that Eve bears Cain, gives birth to Cain. And so it says this, Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now here's the point I don't want any of you ladies to miss today, especially those of you who may be in waiting or, or even hurting on a day like today. And it's this, because Eve called, because God uh, had Adam name Eve Eve, and she's called the mother of all living before she has a child. She's considered by God intrinsically in her design to be a mother before she has children. So, so here's what that means. If you're waiting on the Lord, and this is a painful day for you, 
I want you to know this, that the local church, the family of God, requires that nurturing heart that God has given you. It requires it. It desperately needs it. We long for the heart that God has only given to women. You understand what I'm saying? Like, and, and so for us to become all that God would intend for us to be, we need women who will lead and who will nurture and who will help and who will love in only ways that a woman can love. Amen? Amen? And so if God has not given you children at this point, that doesn't mean that you're not wired, that he has not wired you to nurture and shape the local body because he certainly has. And the point of it all is that we need you. Don't let not being a mom make you feel somehow inferior to the rest of the ladies that may be around here today. Amen. We need you. And so today is really bigger than mothers who work hard and and provide for their families in the way of mothering. There is certainly honor and praise that is due for that. I am eternally grateful for my wife and the work that she does as a mother. I'm eternally grateful for my own mom and then the various moms that the Lord has sought to place into my life. I'm grateful for you grateful for all of them, and certainly I want to honor that today, but I think today is even larger than that. It's about the way that God has graciously and beautifully designed a woman's heart to nurture, care, and shape in all kinds of ways that we may never know the heart and the life of her family and the heart and the life of her church family. Amen? And so I just want to offer a heartfelt thank you to all the ladies that are in here today, not just you moms, to all the ladies for what you bring to this community, and then to you moms for what you bring to your families. Amen. God bless you. Amen. And so if you are a woman in here today, I would like for you to stand uh, at this time. All ladies stand. We've got a gift for all of you today. Amen. Guys, y'all give them a hand as they stand. Amen. As I finish passing those out, let me pray. Father, we thank you for the heart that you've given the woman. Lord, the way that you have blessed her in a way that she can nurture and care in ways that a man never could. And so, Father, we praise you for the good gift of women in our lives, but also the good gift of mothers to nurture and care for a home and to nurture and care for uh, this local church body. Father, I pray that no woman ever feel, uh, feel like less than uh, because they struggle or have had this struggle of not being able to bear a child. Father, they're certainly not. They bring so much to the table. And so we pray your blessings, Lord, in those things. Uh, Father, we ask as we get ready to get into your word today that you would anoint it, anoint this time, help us to learn from you and to honor you in the way that we listen and apply these things to our lives. We pray that the Holy Spirit would grant us understanding, open up our ears and our eyes to see and to hear things uh, in your word that we've never seen or heard before. God, it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Y'all can be seated. So uh, this is week four of Prodigal Grace. Again, we, we have titled this Prodigal Grace uh, because it's about God's grace being prodigal. All right, God is nothing if not prodigal with his grace toward 
us. He, he's poured out his grace on all of us. And so the word prodigal just means spendthrift, uh, means extravagant. And, and so when we look at the grace of God, we know that he was nothing if not spendthrift towards us. Amen. He, he's poured it out. He's made it available to everyone. And so um, where this story has landed us is we've taken a long look at the older brother. And there will be a little bit of that today. There'll be a little bit of looking at the younger brother. But um, the, the story just kind of, it, it just gets deeper and deeper as you really dive into it. And so I kind of want to backtrack today and go uh, and, and kind of rewind back to the beginning of Luke chapter 15 and explain to you kind of what's taking place, a void that Jesus creates, which I kind of hinted at last week, uh, and how Jesus fills that void. And so um, Jesus's popularity had been growing. And so when you enter into Luke chapter 15, his ministry had been going on and there are crowds that are gathering around him. It says the sinners and the tax collectors are gathering around him. They're drawing near to hear him. And so uh, the Pharisees and scribes are jealous of this, right? Because they're supposed to be the ones that the sinners and tax collectors want to be like. And, and so they're jealous of this because this man who they don't really know is taking their crowds. I mean, he's becoming popular. And not only are they jealous, but they're worried about what it may mean for them, what it may mean for uh, their ministry or their lives. And so um, you, you have them watching, kind of standing by watching. And it says in the word that they begin to grumble. And they said this of Jesus, said that this man receives sinners and eats with them. And that was a detestable thing, right? Never should you eat with someone who's just blatantly a sinner. Never should you be involved in somebody's life who's not trying to be perfect and look perfect on the outside. Never should you do something like that. And so uh, they are angry about this. And what they don't know about Jesus is that he knows all their thoughts, right? And so Jesus, entertaining this crowd, looking at this crowd, he hears this in them. Amen. He, he hears what they're thinking about. He hears their grumbling, and he begins to tell these stories. He tells three stories uh, to address the heart of the Pharisee. And, and so one starts kind of this way. This, uh, it says, which one of you men having a hundred guns, this is the, uh, the message South Arkansas translation, okay? Uh, having a hundred guns, if you lost one of them, would not leave the 99 in a gun safe and go after the one that is lost until you find it right? When you find it, when you place it on your shoulder and rejoice calling your friends and your neighbors to come and to celebrate with you. And then Jesus says this, he says, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who think they're righteous and don't need repentance. And then he looks at the ladies in the crowd and he says, or which one of you women having 10 pieces of limelight makeup or essential oils, whatever floats your boat. Uh, if, if, it, if you lost one of them, would not light a lamp and sweep your house and look hard until you find it. When you find it, you'd call together your friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found the item that I had lost. And he's, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And then he continues his storytelling. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger came to, to the man, his father, and demanded that he give him his inheritance, which is like saying, I wish you were dead, right? If any of us ever went to our fathers and demanded our inheritance right now, we would be essentially saying, I wish you were dead because all I want is your stuff. I don't really care about you. I just want your stuff. And this is what the younger son does. And so the father, it just says he divided his property between them. 
He gave two-thirds to the older, which is what he would have had coming by Jewish custom, and he gave one-third to the younger. So the younger takes all of this that the father has given him, most likely property and, and other things. He takes all of it and he turns it into cash. And then he leaves home and he heads for, of course, Vegas, right? Where he spends his money on food and prostitutes and gambling and Celine Dion and magic shows, right? And the boy finds himself in need. And so he's without money. He's spent all that he has. And so he goes to work for a farmer tending to his pigs, where he finds himself lonely without any friends and desiring to eat the same food that the pigs are eating. He remembers that his father's workers back home live better than he does. So he says, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to tell him that I've sinned against him and 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 the Bible tells us that as he's coming down the road, we'll just imagine it's a long dirt dirt road, right? Because it's South Arkansas. So the father sees him. He feels compassion and runs to him. Falling on him, he hugs embraces and he kisses him because he's overjoyed to see his son. It says the son starts to deliver his speech, but the father just totally ignores him. And so he tells his employees, his workers, he says, go and get the best robe, which would have been his own robe. Go and get a ring and put it on his hand. Get shoes, put them on his feet. Oh yeah, grab the fattened calf. We're about to party because my son who was gone or lost has returned home, who my thought was dead, is alive. And, and so, meanwhile, the older son ha- has been out working, and, and he's returning home with some of the other workers, and he, he hears the sounds coming from the house of celebration. And, and it's like any celebration that you'd recognize, right? There's shouting, there's laughter, there's the cha-cha slide. I mean, there has to be the cha-cha slide. There's the smell of a grill, line dancing, all right, line dancing. How about that? And, and he turns to the worker and he asks, what's going on? Why is there a party at the house? And so the worker tells him that his younger brother who was lost has returned home, so your father's throwing a party. Well, the brother gets angry, and he refuses to go in, and so the gracious father hears of this, and he comes outside to plead with him, please come into the party. And the son meets him as he's coming outside, and he says, look, you I've been here with you the whole time. I've followed all of your rules. I've done all that you've asked me to do. I have not gone out and blown my inheritance on prostitutes like my younger brother has. Right? He said, I've been here. And then he says, this this son, this uh, brother, no, this son of yours comes home and, and you throw him a party. You didn't even so much as give me a happy meal while I was here with you, yet you're throwing him a party. And the father looks at him and he says, son, you've always been here with me. All that I have is yours, which literally it was because remember, he divided up his inheritance already. All that I have is yours. And he says, please, won't you come in? Your brother would be glad to see you. Plus, Uncle Bobby started doing the cha-cha slide and you don't want to miss that, right? And so what we have here is Jesus leaves this on a cliffhanger. We've addressed the cliffhanger over and over. But I think there's another little cliffhanger here that if you notice the pattern of the stories, even the redneck versions, if you notice those, what you notice is there's a difference between the third story and the first two stories. 
The difference is that no one searches in the third story. Nobody goes out looking for the younger son in the third story, right? And, and so this would have been weird for the listeners. The listeners would have been sitting there, they would have been listening to this, and they would have heard it, and they would have been anticipating who's going to go look. Who, who's going to go find the younger brother? Who's going to bring him back in? And, and so based on the, the customs here, the tradition, this would have been the role of the older brother to do. This would have been his job. This would have been something that he would have been asked to do. And so Jesus knew his crowd, right? How I many you know Jesus knew the Old Testament? He knew what should have been. And so in the Old Testament, what we see are, uh, is another story of an older and a younger brother, Cain and Abel who I mentioned earlier, Cain goes out and he kills his brother Abel because he's jealous that God has shown favor on him because of his gift. And, and so what happens is God comes to Cain and he says, where is your brother? And Cain responds, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so what we, what we see is, is that while no man is his absolute brother's keeper, right? Like you're not absolutely responsible in this way. Every man is his brother's keeper so far as not to cause him harm or to allow him to, to walk into harm without trying to stop it. We, we all have that responsibility. Amen? And, and so the older brother in this story should have been the one to go looking for the younger brother, willing to sacrifice his inheritance to do so, to make this happen. And so by leaving a true... Uh, older brother out of the story, Jesus both challenges the Pharisees, and then he creates a yearning for an older brother in the sinners. Right? As they're sitting there, sinners with tax collectors are hearing this story, they're yearning for like a true older brother in this. And then the Pharisees would have been challenged because they're acting like the older brother in this story. And, and so the problem I think that's being addressed here that we may feel, maybe the tension I feel as I dive into this, is that we're all prone to wander into older brotherness, as we've called it, which is just more this, this moral living, right? Demanding that our rights be met. And so we've exposed that over the last few weeks. But the, the other side of that is that we're prone to wander into this younger brother living, this wayward lifestyle demanding instant gratification for all of our heart's desires, that nothing be withheld from us. That we disregard any rules or plans and we just go and do whatever we want to do. And so what God is looking for in your heart and what is actually in your heart are worlds apart. And that's the tension of the story. This is the tension that the listeners would have felt. The reason their world's apart is because our lives are marred by depravity. When Adam sins, you sin. Romans 5 is so clear on this, you can't ignore it. We are all guilty by birth of the sin of Adam, let alone our own sin. Amen? And so the, the heart that the Father is after and the heart that we have are worlds apart. And, and so we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Even as converted believers now, what you'll notice is that you struggle to fulfill God's desires over your own at times. Amen? You feel this pull in you of still wanting to kind of live like the old man, yet follow the ways of Christ also. And so the big idea here that I wanted to present to you today is that Jesus is your true older brother. He's the older brother that you need. 
And, and so let me explain what that means. As our true older brother, number one, and this is in your notes, Jesus counted the cost and he paid the price. He, he counted the cost of what it would require to make your heart right and he paid the price willingly. And so act one of the story where the older brother goes out and then he comes home shows us how free the father's forgiveness is. And, and so often when you hear this parable, even when we read this parable, we just read it through that lens that forgiveness was absolutely free. It didn't cost anybody anything. Act two reveals the cost of said forgiveness. Act 2 shows us why the older brother was so angry. He's angry because he knows that this is going to cost him something. And, and so it, it shows us the cost of forgiveness. The younger brother, for the younger brother, forgiveness was free to him. But it would have cost the older brother tremendously. The, the father couldn't just forgive him. Somebody was going to have to pay for this. And, and so you and I, by our sin, are in the same boat as the younger brother. We are far off from the father, and we need someone to pay for us to return home. We, we need somebody to foot the bill for us to return home. And, and so mercy and forgiveness must always be free to the wrongdoer. Otherwise, it's not mercy or forgiveness, right? You've earned it by some merit. If you have to pay for it, you're earning it. Mercy and forgiveness must always be free to the wrongdoer. And so what Jesus, what God has made available through Jesus is that mercy and forgiveness is free to you. But it cost the giver tremendously. It cost the giver his son. It cost Jesus his life. He fulfills something as your true older brother that you could never fulfill on your own, nor could anyone else ever fulfill for you. He is our true older brother. Brother, And so what we see is that Jesus counted the cost, he paid the price. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 words this maybe more beautifully than anything you'll ever read. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So it's talking about while he's still in heaven. He's not counting equality with God as a thing to be grasped or to take hold of like most of us would, Right? Like, I'm in heaven, I'm proud to be in heaven, I ain't coming down there to help you, right? This is not the way Jesus felt. He didn't count that equality as something to be grasped. It says this, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So why does Jesus do what he does? Well, first of all, he does it to bring glory to the Father. Second of all, he does it because he didn't count it as something to be grasped. He didn't count that equality with God as more important than making a way for us which would bring the most glory to God. Don't, don't misunderstand what you're reading here. God would have been glorified in sending all of us to hell. He's perfect, you're not. He's perfectly justified in doing that, and whether we were sent to hell or not, we would have bowed at his name. And one day, sinners will bow at his name, although I'm afraid it'll be too late. But what happens is, is that God sends Jesus, his son, for you. 
that Jesus, being obedient to the Father, doesn't count the equality with God as something to be grasped, something to hold on to, and to not empty himself, to become like a man, and to be killed on a cross for you. Amen? And this is the beauty of what Jesus has done. He counts the cost. He pays the price. He gave up all that he had in heaven to come and to suffer death on a cross on your behalf so that you could look to Christ and be saved, be made whole, have peace with God. The younger brother in our story got a Pharisee for an older brother. But you and I did not. You and I did not. Jesus counted the cost. He pays the price. And so as older brothers or younger brothers, we find ourselves in either one of these places, both of us have rebelled against a perfectly holy God. And the only way for that to be restored, for there to be a right relationship, was for Jesus, our true older brother, to pay our debt to go to the cross on our behalf, to bear the wrath of God on our behalf. So Jesus was stripped so that we could be clothed. He was humiliated so that we could be exalted. He gave up his rights in heaven so that you and I could have rights in heaven. It's this selfless love that destroys the mistrust in our hearts toward God. And it's that mistrust towards God that makes us either older brothers or younger brothers. It's that that drives us to becoming one or the other. And so the second way that we see Jesus as our true older brother is that Jesus is the way to overcome. He's the way to overcome this older brother, younger brother mentality, this way of living. And so Jesus gave up his glory to come down to earth and to, to give his life for us And in doing so, he tells us that he does it because of this truth. Why did Jesus come? Well, he came because he was and is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man comes to the Father. No older brother or younger brother enters the house without the Father coming to see him. Amen? And so in the story, you have the father running out to the younger son. You have him coming out to the older brother. He's entreating both of them, come in. Come in. This would not have been possible without the life, death, resurrection, and heavenly ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just not possible. And so in that, in knowing that Jesus is the way to overcome, I think the key is to seek him. It's, to, it's, it's, and that, it's like, that's it? That's all you've got for us, Kyle? To seek Jesus? Man, I've heard that my whole life. I agree. It's one of those things that you hear so often, you just stop doing it. It's just like, oh, yeah, I seek him because I go to church on Sunday. I'm involved in a home group. Man, I even serve on a serve team. It's awesome, man. I'm seeking Jesus in that way. But when it comes to your personal life, if you're not waking up yearning for the Lord, I'll confess to you, this is not my heart every day. So I'm not, I'm not up here as a Pharisee before you saying this is me every day. I'm just saying this is the heart I want. I want to wake up yearning for the Lord, desiring to spend time with Him, grateful for another day, seeking Him wholeheartedly during that day. Grant me wisdom, Lord. Grant me the grace to make it through today. 
praise you for whatever comes my way today. May it bring glory and honor to your name. All right, just with that heart of seeking the Lord. And so the, the truth behind seeking the Lord is, is this. So don't miss this. How can your heart be changed? How, how can your heart be changed? It, it's only changed. It, for your heart to be changed, you need to be moved by the sight of what it costs to bring you home. What it costs to bring you into the house of God. What it costs the older brother, our true older brother, to bring you into the house. You need to be moved far more by that than your own desires. Than your own willingness to, to not withhold anything from yourself. Be it glory or fame or attention or anything. Amen? We, we are to be moved by the Lord and what he's done for us. Daily. Older brothers and younger brothers are typically moved by fear. They're moved by their need to control God. Christians' hearts are transformed by what God has done through Jesus. And what God has done through Jesus causes the Christian to, to, to love and to rest in the Father. If you remember way back four weeks ago, <laughs> at the beginning of this series, we talked about these two ditches of older brotherness and younger brotherness. That, that morality, uh, that, that way of living and just trying to do all the right things and trying to earn something from the Father versus that wayward living. Like, I'm, just, I'm not even going to worry about that. I'm just going to go do whatever I want to do. Right? We, we talked about those two ditches. And, and what happens is, is that these seem to be the only two options for us. And in fact, apart from Christ, these are the only two options for you. You will, be, you will either be an incredibly good person or an incredibly bad person. And what I mean by that is in your own eyes or in the eyes of those around you. In order for us to be made right, to be truly good, is to understand that there's no righteousness in us, that we find it in Christ alone. And so Jesus' sacrificial love provides a third option for us. But, but it shouldn't even really be an option. It should just be like it provides the way for us. Amen? Like I want to forsake older brotherness. I want to forsake my younger brother attitude, and I want to run to the cross of Christ daily. That, like that should be my only option, is that I'm running to him. And so we, when, when we do this, we see the beauty of what he has done for us. It, it attracts our hearts to him. And what happens is that we realize the love or the greatness or the acceptance or the honor that we've all been desiring in the way that we're living elsewhere, we try to find that elsewhere, it's only found in Jesus Christ. That you're truly loved in Christ. You're truly accepted in Christ. You truly overcome depression in Christ. Your marriage can be truly restored in Christ. You're truly a good parent in Christ. You're truly a good father, a good husband, a good wife, a good mother in Christ. You're truly a good Christian in Christ. Alone. There's nothing else. And so if we wake up in the morning and my heart yearns for anything else, I have committed idolatry. I'm committing treason against God. 
He's created us in such a way that our hearts would long for Him, yearn for Him. He's created us in such a way that we'll only find fulfillment in Him. And because we think we know best, because of this flawed sin nature being marred by depravity, we will run after the things that our hearts most desire every time. The problem with this is that Jeremiah 17 is clear that your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked that no one can understand it. Yet we tell each other all the time, follow your heart. (laughs) Please don't follow your heart. (laughs) Make sure those desires are from the Lord and then you can follow your heart. Weigh those things against Scripture and then follow your heart. We must constantly, continually look to the Lord, the author, the finisher of our salvation, for he alone is the way to overcome either older brotherness or younger brotherness. I just want to read this psalm to you. I think this is the heart that we want to try to capture in our lives as we live. This is a a, a psalm about the help of the Lord. Psalm 121, he he says this. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. So the Lord's not sleeping while he's keeping you. Amen? He's always actively keeping you. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Who keeps you? The Lord. Who do we look to? The Lord. He is our help. He is the way to overcome older brotherness or younger brotherness, to be set free from these attitudes that will drive us away from the heart of God and that could really damage relationships with others. So Jesus is our true older brother. He wants to bring you home from your self-destructive living. He wants to rescue you from your moral uprightness so that you can come into the Father's house and find real rest, true rest. You and I will never stop being younger brothers or older brothers until we acknowledge our need for Jesus Christ. His payment, His way, and once we acknowledge it, once we see that He's paid our debt, that He counted the cost, He paid for that. Once we see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, he leads us to overcome. Once we see those things, then we are to constantly, continually gaze upon the Lord, looking to him, trusting him, hoping in him, believing in him in all situations. Amen? It's this constant, continual looking to the Lord that leads to continued deliverance from older brotherness or younger brotherness. When you look and see that the Lord has accomplished for you what you could never accomplish, you'll stop trying to live as a moral, upright, older brother. It's not that you won't try to live morally. Certainly, we don't forsake holiness, right? Paul says that grace does not abound so that sin can abound all the more. But the grace covers your sin so that 
in your sin, you're not fully separated from God. Amen? There's not this eternal separation. It's that that grace covers now your wrongdoing. And in doing so, you can praise the Lord, praise you for your grace. Praise you for giving me the strength to continue walking this path that you put before me. And then it's Jesus who drives us away from younger brotherness. I realize that I don't have to be fulfilled in anything outside of Christ. And that anything in my heart, anything that my heart desires above Christ leads to my demise. It leads to my destruction. And so I find rest in the Lord, my true older brother, for what he has accomplished on the cross for me. He's called those things out, and he says they will not fulfill you. And he says, come to me, all of you who are thirsty. Drink from me so that you may never thirst again. If you aren't moved by the beauty of the work of our Jesus Christ, then it's time to gaze again upon this marvelous work of God. I want to leave you with this illustration. Maybe some of you have heard this before. I think it's pretty popular, but anyway. There was a professor. The professor assigns a task to his students to take this fish that the professor has in a tank, and he sets it before the classroom. And he says, you guys are to look upon this fish and to write down a hundred things that you notice about this fish. He said, you guys can work together, you can get together and do this, but I want you to write down a hundred things about this fish. And so upon first looking at it, the students were like, man, we'll never come up with a hundred things about this fish. And so they come to the professor like, man, we've got, we've got 40. It's not enough. We need to get more, get a hundred. It's like, okay. So they go back and they're gazing on the fish, they're looking on it. They begin to notice the color transitions as he moves through the water. They begin to notice lines on the fish they hadn't seen before, the construction of the fish in ways they'd never noticed before. And they keep gazing and gazing. Finally, they get to a hundred things. They bring it to the professor and they say, look, we've got a hundred things. He says, that's great. Go get me 100 more. So they go back and they gaze upon the fish even more, finding new beauties and new realities about the fish that they had never seen before. I stand here today telling you that your Lord Jesus Christ and his word is the exact same way. Do not get it twisted. He is this way. The more you come to the Lord and gaze on his beauty, the more you look on him, the more realities you see about yourself that need to be gone, the more you see that Christ covers those things and that he empowers you to overcome those things, and the the more you're just in awe at the work of the cross, the, the work of our Lord Jesus, the work that God performs, the work that the Holy Spirit's doing in you even now. I promise you, you'll never come and gaze upon the Lord and walk away unsatisfied. He is full full, and he wants to fill you to where you're full. And it's got to be more than Sunday. It's got to be more than Wednesday night. It's got it's, to it's be this daily yearning. And where I'm not yearning daily, let me bring that to the Lord. Lord, my heart doesn't yearn for you daily. What's keeping me from you? Help me to yearn for you. Help me to be sincere in my efforts for you. Purge me, Lord anything that's hindering this relationship. Amen. I invite you
to continue to gaze upon the Lord, to see new realities and new beauties in Him, to see the way in all of your ways, to overcome all of your things that you struggle with and need to overcome. I invite you to trust Him fully. Keep coming back. Keep gazing. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop believing. Don't stop praying. Don't stop trusting. He's there. He's there. Amen? Would you stand to your feet this morning?